Hello and welcome. I am John McAlevey, and this is The Quadcast, a podcast for and about folks like me who have in one form or another had their lives affected by a spinal cord injury. Think of it as a 30-minute session of OT and PT for your soul. If you missed our first show, and really, how could that have happened? You can find my conversation with the great Scott Chesney on my SoundCloud page and on three separate Facebook pages. Mine, the Kessler Peer Group page, and Scott's Thrive Community page. You can also access it from my Twitter account, which is at John J. McAlevey, spelled M-C-A-L-E-A-V-E-Y, and hopefully on a bunch of podcast host sites soon. I have actually received some really good positive feedback on the first show, and no, it wasn't all just from my mom, I promise, although she thought it was great, really. So please keep your opinions, impressions, and suggestions coming. Good, bad, and indifferent. My email address is J and the spelling I gave you previously at Comcast.com. So how is everyone coping with this new world we are living in all of a sudden? I don't know about you, but aside from driving my car for some curbside pickup at the pharmacy and sitting in my backyard on a nice sunny afternoon or two, I have literally not left my house in over two months. Have you ever seen the movie Groundhog Day? It was released in 1993 and stars Bill Murray as a TV weatherman covering the annual Groundhog Day event in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. In the movie, he becomes trapped in a time loop, forcing him to endlessly repeat the same day. And that is what living in this moment feels like to me. Wash, rinse, repeat, day after day after day. I have watched so much Food Network and HGTV that I've applied to be on Chopped and am scheduled to build a house with Chip and Joanna Gaines sometime this summer. I mean, really, the one saving grace is that spring has sprung so we can at least blow a window open for a cool breeze and sit outside. Honestly, though, my world has not really drastically changed that much. You see, before the shelter-in-place edict went out due to this awful COVID-19 global pandemic, I was not exactly a globe-trotting socialite. Don't get me wrong, I would get out now and then to visit friends, to go for therapy, coach my basketball team in the winter, and attend church services on Saturday night or Sunday morning, but much of my everyday week was spent in my house. I work from there, writing a blog and podcasting with friends Matt Lachlan and Steve Titchener for moresportsnow.com. That was a nice plug. Please check us out. We cover sports on both sides of the Hudson. So with a computer, a microphone, and a cell phone, I'm off to the races. For me, the old saying, be it ever so humble, there's no place like home, certainly rings true. As a result of my injury, getting around is harder, so it's just easier for me at home. I know where everything is, mainly the bathroom, in case I need to make a run for it. My workspace is somewhat adapted for me to handle, and when I struggle to plug something in or pick something up from the floor, no one is there to see it. Circumstances stemming from my SCI make going out whenever I want, for whatever I want, that much harder. Let's just say spontaneity is not exactly a disabled person's best friend, at least not this person. Some of us are home not by choice or by edict. 
If you turn on television these days or read an article online, you are sure to hear people complain about how this quarantine feels like a jail sentence. Many are frustrated because they can't do everyday things they are used to doing, nor are they certain when they will get back to be able to do them again. Well, welcome to our world, I think to myself. But pandemic or no pandemic, these are issues we deal with on an everyday basis, except ours come with permanence. There will not come a date, whether it be June or July, that Governor Murphy will tell us that we can get out of our wheelchairs or go for a run, help paint our neighbor's house or play a round of golf. So we know a thing or ten about being inconvenienced, right? And that, my friends, is my two cents, spelled S-E-N-S-E. Now, when we come back, I'm excited to speak with a remarkable young man whose story is one you will want to hear. My friend Mikey Nichols joins me after the break. Infinite Therapy Solutions is a pediatric therapy clinic providing services in Hudson and Essex counties for five years. If your child is having difficulty with speech, motor skills, behavioral triggers, or physical movement, you can count on their exceptional therapists for help. Infinite Therapy Solutions provides physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, and behavioral therapy to children ages 0 to 21. Come to a warm, professional clinic to receive the best care to help your child achieve their highest potential. My friend Hillary would be happy to answer any questions for you at 201-455-3144. They take insurances, so call to inquire. There are two locations in West Orange and Bayonne. Check out their website at infinitetherapysolutions.org. And welcome back to the show. I met Mikey Nichols a few years ago when we were both doing therapy at Kessler Institute in West Orange. We struck up a friendship then, and I'm thrilled to have him join us on the quadcast today to share his story. Mikey, thank you and welcome. Thank you for having me. Great. Mike, in my introduction, I highlighted how we're living in an unprecedented time right now. I mean, who could have envisioned a global pandemic? But it is here, and it's altered everyone's life greatly. Folks like you and me with spinal cord injuries fit into that high-risk demographic, so we have to be extra careful. How has this changed a day in the life for you? Well, it's it's actually kind of weird so i was in the hospital with pneumonia um from march 6th to march 16th and i believe it was on march 13th if i remember correctly when the entire hospital went into a shutdown because of the coronavirus and there was no visitors and whatnot and kind of once i started getting healthy again they kicked me out of there as soon as possible and now it's kind of like you know my daily routine is i get up uh you know, I sit in my house kind of all day, maybe watching Netflix. I try to walk my dog when it's nicer outside. Um, you know, it's really just put a pause on everything that we, that I've been doing and many people have been doing, but, uh, we're going to get through this uh, together. And I like to think that it's almost over or maybe the end is near, but 
whatever it may be, we're going to get through it. No doubt. In fact, I know I follow you on Twitter. I know you have a pretty uh, active social media presence. And I saw one of your last tweets was, I'm so jealous and resentful of people that are going out and hanging out with people with no care. I mean, you and I, as, as I mentioned, we fit into that high risk demographic. So we have to be, you know, mindful of, of going out because if we were to come down with this COVID-19, it could be really a battle for us. Yeah, I'm jealous. I have, um, you know, I, I have, uh, tons of friends, you know, my age and I'm 24 year old man and, you know, that's a young, it's a nice young age. And, you know, I have friends that, you know, so like to go out on their boats, on their jet skis and they have a great time. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it's kind of bittersweet because I'm glad that they could have a good time. But it's kind of like, you know, uh, I'm sitting in the house kind of just watching them. And, you know, they, they don't come and see me or come close to me because they know that what effect it could have on me. Right. They're very well, they're very well aware of that. But I'm still just so jealous of people that can go out, have fun, you know, and, uh, not worry because they're healthy and they're uh, young and just, you know, living a, living a normal life in an able bodied body. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mike, let's talk about you as a young person. Let's, I'd like to, to delve in and find out about people before the injury that they had. Tell us about a young Mike Nichols. What were things that you liked to do? Tell us about how you were in school and what maybe you had, um, you know, thinking about doing in the future as, as a grown up. Um, well, you know, I was, I like to say, that um, I, I've changed a lot. Um, for some ways good and some ways worse. Uh, prior to my injury, I was um, very loud, obnoxious. Um, <laughs> I like to uh, I like to make a lot of jokes, and that's never changed. But I was kind of you know the person always making jokes in class, uh, making the teachers laugh and the students laugh. Yeah. Um, you know, and I just love. Uh, being around people. I love hanging out with my friends, you know, like many young people do. Um, and it was, I was a big sports guy, whether it be, uh, ice hockey was my favorite sport, you know, but I, I played multiple sports growing up. I'm a fan of pretty much every sport, you know, the core four, NHL, baseball, hockey, football. I'm a big fan of all of them. And, you know, I mean, I was, I was going to go to school. Um, I was more excited about playing college hockey than I was actually going to college, to be honest with you. Okay. It, um, I, I was kind of split whether I wanted to go do something with my hands, uh, uh, work, you know, work, do physical labor, electricity, something like that, or do something through the college route. I was thinking, maybe becoming a nurse. Uh, but I really, I really don't know. I was still young at the time before my injury. So I was never really able to figure out what I really wanted. And the only thing I knew I wanted to do was I knew I wanted to play hockey. Yes. Yep. And that leads me into my question. Where does your love of hockey come from? And, and when did you start playing? Um, and then along those lines, when you were a kid, who was your favorite player growing up and who did you model your game after? Uh, to tell you where my love of hockey come from, I I couldn't give you an exact answer because it's not like my mom 
was a hockey fan. Um, I think she could probably only name like three players, and that'd be myself, my brother, and maybe Henry. <laughs> I don't know. A true um, mom, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, and my dad, my dad, you know, he was a he was a Rangers fan. He actually gave up his season tickets in 1994, which is awful. Oh but, no. That it's it's a it's a funny story at least it sure is um, pick the wrong time to give them up yeah for sure he uh like you know he maybe skated in central park about uh half of the times um my love of hockey i think it just came from i don't know i was always a person that liked like physical contact like i enjoyed football when i was younger um and I just enjoyed the contact. Um, I think, you know, my first like, real memory of of being at an ice hockey game was um, I remember I was at the game where uh, Sean Avery was doing the thing oh. the, where he made the rule. Yeah. Where he became the, the Avery rule. Sure. And uh, like I said, I was loud and obnoxious when I was a kid. And I was like, that's the most obnoxious thing someone could possibly do on the ice. Yeah, you loved uh, it too, I, right? Yeah, I, I, I thought <laughs> I, I thought I thought it was awesome, and then you know, after afterwards when they made a rule about it, I was like, all right, you shouldn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. But but uh, yeah, when I saw when I saw that, and I saw kind of the tenacity that Sean Avery played with, because he he was a small guy, yeah, but he never he never really backed down from anyone. Mm-hmm. And then another player that I really liked at that same time, across uh, the Hudson playing for the Devils was Brian Gianta, another very small guy who was not afraid to go into the corners, um, but also not afraid to go into the front of the net, right? Uh, and get the get the dirty goals because that that's um, not everyone is blessed with the talent of you know like a Connor McDavid where they're able to use their hands and right speed and skill some people have to get it done the ugly way and yes that, that, that was the way i was as a hockey player mm-hmm. not everybody wins the genetics lottery right is 6'4 exactly. and 220 pounds so you got to find hey, a I, way to fit I, in i sure as heck did <laughs> no doubt no doubt so mike unfortunately hockey is what brings us to how you and i know each other um Let's talk about January 4, 2014, the day that changed your life. Tell us what you remember, how things happened. And, you know, I understand you were having one of the best games of the season. You had a goal and a couple of assists uh, were all over the ice. And then, obviously, it did not end the way any of us would have wanted it to. Take us back to that day, if you could. It was actually a uh, kind of... I want to say a normal day, but it it wasn't because I remember that day. It was uh, the the night prior. It had snowed uh, a good amount. That was actually a very tough winter, and I'm kind of angry that I got hurt in January because I heard there was some great pond hockey. <laughs> um, Spoken like was, a true it, hockey rat. Yeah, well, my mom, my mom told me like when I was in the hospital, she, she said like. Like, oh, you would have loved this. And I was like, oh, gee, thanks. Gee, thanks, Mom. Rub it in, don't you? Yeah, right. But uh, I remember um, it was still, the road was very was very snowy and icy. I remember, like, um, when I was driving, like, 
just uh, when, when I drove to the school um, to get onto the bus to go to the game, I remember just like I was going maybe five miles per hour and my car was just sliding as I was turning. It was very, very weird day. Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember, you know, I, I was playing a good game. Um, I was just, I was doing what I love, quite correctly, be as blunt as possible. Right. And what happened was I, we were on penalty kill. We, someone chipped the puck behind the defenseman. And I kind of got a couple steps ahead of him. And uh, as I slowed down to kind of corral the puck, um, the defenseman hit, hit me from behind. And what happened was the defenseman then fell on top of me, so I wasn't able to get up. I slid into the boards head first, uh, broke my C5 vertebrae. Uh, the rest is uh, almost history, as I say. Mike, how many times in your hockey career had you taken a fall like that um and how was this one different uh let me say i've been hit harder a hundred times uh, a lot more than i got hit that time yeah it was you know my my best friend was the first one that uh skated over me saw me mm-hmm. so he uh listen i was i was a little guy at the time uh, i grew after my injury which is really fair but um, you know, I, w- I was a physical guy and I would, I would hit people a lot. I would check people a lot. And, you know, when you, when you get under the other team's skin, sometimes it comes in, bites you in the ass <laughs> and the, the other team comes, comes out for you. And so I've taken my fair share of big hits and yep. that definitely, that definitely wasn't one of them. Mm-hmm. But, um, just when I, when I, uh, hit, I just, I just remember everything went numb. Yes. Um, uh, I wasn't in pain. I wanted to get up and continue mm-hmm. to play. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, I was just numb. My best friend skated over me. Asked me, he said, he said you're Mikey good? And I was like, I'm fine. I just can't get up. Yeah. And yeah. he was like, what? I was like, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I just can't get up. Yep. And then that's when it all starts. I can remember um, the same feeling when I fell down my steps. I remember my dad, uh, I could hear him coming down the basement steps and he was you know, asking me a question. I just remember telling him, don't touch me because I know that that's the first thing they say is you got to be careful with all of that. But it's just the numbness that's just so eerie that, uh, I I mean, 20, it'll be 28 years for me this August and I still can feel that numbness. And it makes me, you know, sometimes when I throw up just thinking about it, but you know, there you are. And then what happened, Mike? They, uh, the surfboard comes out, I'm sure. And, the, uh, did they, did they helicopter you somewhere or did you just go right to a hospital? Surfboard. I've never, never heard of that one before. That's a good one. Yeah. That's um, why you bring that first aid thing. Uh, that's what I yeah, call it. I don't know what else to call it. I'm going to call it a surfboard from now on. All right. Okay. Um, so they put me on the uh, surfboard. I believe it was on the ice. Mm-hmm. And because I was on the ice, it feels like it was like, it feels like it goes forever, but I think it was maybe five, ten minutes max. Yeah. Uh, and then they brought me to the back room. They brought me to like this old back room in the rink because uh, they were waiting for the helicopter to get brought. Um, and in the back room, they were actually uh, like cutting off some of my gear. Sure. And um, I was taking the, I was like trying to move my head to take the oxygen mask off my face. Mm-hmm. Tell to, I was trying to like yell at them to not take my gear off. Yeah. To not to not cut it because I was like you know I need that pay for that right um 
and then they put me on a helicopter. Uh, and I've never been on a helicopter before, so that was a very cool experience, mm-hmm. even even with all the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in the helicopter, I believe I'm going like in and out of consciousness, but I'm also flirting with the nurse or the <laughs> EMT that's in the helicopter. As well, you um, should, Mike. Come on. I mean, I figured, you know, as a near-death experience, like it's kind of something uh, impressive. Like, yeah, I, I died once, so yep. Uh, Kudos but, uh, to you. As well, you should do that, Mike. Yep. I uh, once I landed, I got to the to the hospital. the The last thing I uh, the last thing I remember was seeing my mom, and I think it was before my surgery. And I was just like, Mom, you know, I'm fine. I'll be back next game. And, uh, you know, I'm still waiting for that next game, but there's definitely going to be one. Sure. Well, that's that amazing attitude that you have. And you've spoken uh, to us just now about, you know, you as a player uh, being sort of a grinder. I've read a little bit about you. Do you think that it's that mentality of, you know, not being the biggest guy, not being the strongest guy, being someone that's got to do all the little things out on the ice that has mentally prepared you for tackling you know, therapy, which you and I both know OT and PT is no joke when you're in our condition. And, um, do you think that it's that attitude and, and those lessons you learned on the, on the ice that prepared you to go out there and kick some tail in the therapy room? Uh, 100%. Uh, I've been doubted my entire life. Um, I grew up like my freshman year, I was no joke. I was 4'11", 95 pounds. (laughs) And, my uh, uh, a brisk wind I could mean, knock you over. Yeah, no, I was. It would have to be a little bit more brisk, but <laughs> you know, uh, like my my hockey coach, I made varsity that year, and he was like, you know, the other team could see like how 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 light this kid is. So like he like lied and put my weight at like one hundred five or one ten on the website, and then uh, at the first game I went and like I knew I was like okay, in order for this coach to keep giving me the opportunity. I got to find the biggest kid on the other team and knock him on his ass. <laughs> straight forward. And that's what I did. And like, I went home that day and he texted me. He's like, yeah, I changed your weight back to your regular weight. You don't need the extra 10 pounds. That's right. Um, I would, so I've, I've always been used to being counted out. You know, I've, I've been cut from teams before because I've been told that I'm too small and then been called back and ended up being the best player on those teams. So mm-hmm. he, it's like being told I can't do something or that something's not possible. It's kind of just fuel to me. It's kind of, just, it makes me angry. And I'm so used to being angry that I use that anger as kind of fuel and the therapy room to work out. Um, nothing's ever been handed to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I'm so used to working hard and, you know, just being able to recognize the, the little victories that that come in this recovery as you as you know because mm-hmm. uh, there's there's so many little victories to the out to the outside eye it's like what are they so happy about to us it's like it's like i remember the first time i sat up it was like it's that that's like an amazing thing it is um, yeah so it's definitely it's, it's it's the hockey mentality you know that that keeps me working hard and moving forward because I don't know any other way to approach life or approach obstacles in life Mm -hmm. except head on. That's, that's exactly what I 
figured would be the case, as I said, when I read about you and, um, you know, the type of player you were, because that's what you need in the therapy room. As you said, progress comes really slowly, you know, as we both know, it's, it's not like, you know, you snap your fingers and as you said, you're sitting up or you snap your fingers and you're able to lift something or put some pegs together. I mean, people maybe not realize when you, when you bang up your spinal cord, you know, you take simple pleasures. And, and if you can do something one day that you couldn't do the day before, you know, that is huge and it can fuel you for the next day. And I'm sure that's what you took out of your days. Oh yeah. I uh, like, I remember cause I had a stroke uh, as well when I, when I uh, suffered my injury. So my right arm was uh, much, much weaker than my left arm. And I remember uh, it was the day of my high school graduation, actually. Uh, it was like the first time I was able to like pick my arm up ever so slightly and like hold my hand off of my armrest. And like I, that happened during my high school graduation. And that was like such a little thing for me, but uh, it was, it was so big because mm-hmm. uh, you know, I hadn't been able to move that arm for like six months prior to that point. Unbelievable. Now, I read a quote from you. Tell me if this is true. The world needed me in a wheelchair. Now, first of all, where does that statement come from and what does it mean for our listeners? Um, well, the, the way I look at it is, you know, I loved being a hockey player. I, I loved being able to walk around, drive a car, do, do whatever an able-bodied person can do. But the impact I had on the world was so little. Uh, I feel like once I suffered my injury and now like uh, now that I'm in the wheelchair, uh, not only is my, has my perspective on the world changed, but I'm able to share that perspective with so many people in the world. And I'm very lucky that, you know, uh, people such as Boomer and Gio or Carton and the devils have given me this platform to share what I've learned and give it to the world because I I don't think I ever would have been able to make that impact Mm -hmm. on the world had I not been in an unfortunate accident, but I made that unfortunate accident into so many positive things. And I think that's why the world needed me in a wheelchair, just like it's needed an Eric Legrand in a wheelchair, just like it needed Christopher Reeve in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, I have people, yeah. I have to tell you for are meant to do things right. For someone your age to to be able to to voice that opinion is so selfless, and it's it's amazing. I mean, for someone in their early twenties um, to talk like that, I mean, unbelievable. Now it leads me to my next question: the Mikey Strong Charity Hockey Game to benefit spinal cord research and quality of life initiatives. How did that come about? What are some of your favorite moments? And when will the sixth annual, which I was eagerly looking forward to, that was canceled because of the pandemic, when will that be played again? Um. Well, first, first of all, to start the question, it, it came from. When the Reed Foundation, this was, I believe it was September of 2014, because I remember the Rangers opening night correctly. But I reached out to Craig Carton, uh, uh, with Boomer Science in on WFAN, Mm -hmm. and I told him 
you know, about the big idea initiative. Uh, that was when it first came out. And he was like, yeah, I'll, I'll call you in 15, 20 minutes. I remember he calls me and I'm on the phone with him for like a half hour, 45 minutes. And he goes, Mikey, you know, do you want to come in the studio and talk about it? And I, was like, I would love to. And I, I've been a fan of Boomer and Carton since, since I was a little boy. I, I mean, I grew up listening to WFAM in the mornings, whether it be on the way to hockey practice, on the way to baseball games, football practice, whatever it was. My dad was always driving me. We had WFAN on the background. You and me both. I have that that same uh, with my pops. And I go, I'm 52 years old now. So I go back to the Mike and the Mad Dog days. So I, uh, I, I, I'm right I there with you. Say, I was just about to say, whether it be Mike Francesa, uh, Don Imus back in the day. Yeah. I remember, I remember when, when Mike Breen was the update guy at WFAN. Yes. Um, formerly sure. known as, as Breeny. <laughs> right. Um, He's he's a great guy, mm-hmm. also. But mm-hmm. um, so when I went in there, and I was talking to Boomer and Craig, you know, the first fifteen minutes, twenty minutes segment that was on the show, and uh, they looked at me, you know, like when the segment ended and it was commercial, and Craig was like, "You want to stay for the rest of the show?" I was like, "Heck yeah! Like I love to. This <laughs> sure. is this is like a dream of mine." And um, they. Craig said, like, on the radio that day, you know, we're going to have a charity hockey for you. And uh, thankfully, Boomer was there because, uh, as people know, Craig, uh, when he gets an idea, his, uh, the ideas in his head, they just start going, they start going ballistic. And he starts <laughs> throwing things, he starts throwing things. I was like, like all right, we're, we're going to be playing here on, on, on April 7th. And right. Boomer's, Boomer's like, Craig, we, we, got, we got this, this, that on this day. We can't do it then. Like, um, but as some great people that they are, Boomer's Eisen, a wonderful person. And that's Everyone where it all came that, from? That's where the idea yeah, stemmed from? That's where it came from, Craig, just throwing it out there. And, Amazing. And then, you know, they said, Boomer has said numerous times in interviews that, like, when I, when they left, like, they were, like, in tears because they both had children. You know, Craig has children with the, with Tourette's syndrome. Yes. And uh Boomer's son Gunner has cystic fibrosis. So they they both understood the misfortune and the difficulties I was dealing with and they said that the Boomer said the way I was able to handle it was just very inspiring to him. And the first game was in Middletown, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um Middletown High School, a, a rink that uh was being built when I was playing hockey and quite frankly, I'm a little upset that I got injured and never got to play in that rink. Yeah. Cause, but, um, and it just grew from there. I think it was, you know, once boom, once they, once they said it on WFAN, I think the Devils kind of probably reached out within like an hour or two. Um, and it just took off from there. It just took off from there. And I have to tell yes. you, I was there at that first one for you down at the shore. A buddy of mine is a huge New York Islanders fan. And, um, you know, I, I told him, hey, there's a great charity event. I didn't even know you at the time. And I said, um, you know, talking to some of our friends from Kessler, they were all going down, the girls. And so um, we wanted to be a part of that whole thing. And it has really taken off. And as you said, 
um, it it raises money for the Reeve Foundation, which benefits us all in the long run, which is right. you know really uh, you know goes back to your sentiments about you were meant to be in the chair to help other folks out. For sure, for sure. Um, you know, I, I don't think I ever would have gotten these opportunities had it not been for the unfortunate situation that happened to me, you know, on January 4th. And sure. That's, that's just, we, we can't change the past. We can change the future, you know? No doubt. And now, Mike, let's go back to November of 2019. I think it's November or maybe it's October, November, or December. I'm not quite sure. But the New York Marathon. I mean, when did this become a goal for you? And then I want you to tell us about your amazing Monroe High School teacher who was on the ride with you. Yeah. Um, so uh, between uh, Mr. Rooney, uh, Joe Rooney, I, I, I still feel weird calling him Joe. Um, <laughs> you know, he was a teacher when I was in high school. He was never actually a teacher of... Um, mine like i never had class with him like you know, when i was in school i uh i liked taking bathroom breaks <laughs> and I, I like taking breaks that were a little bit longer than necessary yes um so i would i would often uh walk around the hallways just listening to music and um i love you know i love uh specifically my favorite kind of music is 90s hip-hop Okay. So, so like I, I go around music whether I be listening to Wu Tang Clan, Nas, Jay Z, whatever, whatever it may be, and um, he, uh, he just picked up, he just picked up on. He one day he was like, "What are you listening to?" I told him, and we our relationship just kind of formed then, because uh, he loves the same kind of music as me, and then it kind of our relationship kind of became deeper because him and I both have a love of poetry, um. And he, he's a great poet on, in his own right. Uh, he's a great writer. He's an English teacher, so of course he's a great writer. Right. But um, you know he he used to he used to bike to school, uh, to the high school. Uh, he he was always a runner. Uh, one day uh, after my injury, of course, um, him and I and I believe my dad were at a some sort of charity event that that high school was putting on for me, and uh. I think Mr. Rooney said, like, you know, uh, I'd love to do anything to help raise money. And my dad said, yeah, maybe you guys should do a marathon one day or something like that. You know, just throwing it out there. And uh, it was like a light bulb went off. And uh, we decided, we decided uh, we're, we're going to do New York City. Unbelievable. And how much and, work went into that? I mean, how much training um, did did he have to do? And, and you know, you being a part of it. Um, and then what was it like? being out on the course. I know my sister and my niece and nephew were there. Uh, my sister works for the New York Apple Association and they're one of the big sponsors and they actually took a picture of you running by. So you had uh, you had a lot of adoring fans that were um, on the course that knew you were out there. So so tell us about what that ride was like. Well, there, uh, Mr. Rooney put in um, extraordinary amount of work to uh to do that to do a near city marathon uh i swear it was like i swear you know i was uh when he said like he wanted to do a new york Mar new york city marathon i thought he was crazy just because he wanted to run 26 miles 
And then he's like, yeah, I'll push you. I was like, what? You want to push me too? <laughs> um, we we did a lot of work. I, I think he started training in the marathon. was the first week in November. Uh, he started training in probably March or April. That was when he started running. Him and I would run together uh, at least once or twice a week. Um, just around my neighborhood, around my town. We would, we would, you know, we started off running like, uh, the first time we ran together, it might have been like three or four miles. And then the last training session before the marathon was, I believe it was 18 miles because whatever the marathon training is, you're not supposed to run 26 miles until the actual day of the marathon. Okay. Um, uh, he did, he did a whole heck of a lot of training. Um, I owe him a lot. Well, uh, he he was the he was like the brains and the muscle of of the of the team. I was kind of the the inspiration, I guess. You were the brawn and the handsome, good looks, right? Is that what you brought to the table? Uh, I was more of a face for radio. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, that's too much. Then I read uh, towards the end, was it, that uh, his hamstrings sort of locked up on him? Is that what uh, was part of the equation? Yeah, yeah. I think we were on mile, what, 24, 25? Mm-hmm. And, you know, going on that entire ride, it was a unreal thing. And he, uh, he caught this adrenaline rush. We were, we were on... I think we were coming off the Triborough Bridge. There's so many bridges in New York. I right. Know which one? Um, coming into Manhattan, where there's just a whole heck of a lot of fans, you know, just cheering you on and whatnot. And he kind of caught an adrenaline rush and kind of pushed it a little too much. I think he ran like his goal was to run like eight and a half minute miles, you know, to stay on pace. Mm. And he ran like a sub eight minute mile while pushing me on a bridge. Um, and then his hamstring kind of locked up and uh, he was like apologizing to me while he was pushing me. I was like, how are you, how, how are you apologizing? And like, but uh, he pushed through it. Uh, I think he just grabbed some water and, and drank some. You know, I was kind of just sitting there. I was just like, take your time, stretch it out. I'm like, you got this. Like, we're almost there. But Amazing. Know, I was just kind of in the back of my head. I was kind of just hoping like, all right, please, like, just, just, Give this man, give, give this man a break. Yeah, yeah, he needs a break, right? Unbelievable, yeah, for sure. And Mike, it brings me to my uh, my last question. I want to thank you for your time because I know uh, you're a busy young man. So the last question I have is one that I always save for the end uh, and for all of my guests, and it is: if I could snap my fingers right now, and you would be good as new again, able bodied. What is the first thing you would do? And I think I have a feeling what you're going to say. Uh, you know, I mean, the first thing I would do is easy. Like I, I'd go play hockey 100%. That's the first but, thing I th- I said. He's going to slap some skates on and head for the rink. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, you know, I think the more important thing, the more important thing to me really is like, like I, I I'm I'm in a wheelchair now, and yeah, I get it. Being in a wheelchair sucks. You look at it, you know, you can't go upstairs. When you have all these autonomous functions that you can't do. My thing is, if I could snap a finger 
and make everyone as good as new and me still being a wheelchair, I'd snap that finger a hundred times before, you know, I could go play hockey. Because I think if the entirety, if the world as, as a whole was able to get this fixed or be better, uh, I think I'd be selfish for it to just be me. Unbelievable. Mike, and I want to thank you not only for, for those amazing thoughts, but for being an inspiration to me uh, as someone surviving a spinal cord injury and for all the money that you're raising uh, on my behalf and all of the other folks that uh, that unfortunately have had an accident as well. Um, and again, thank you for your time. I appreciate you joining me here on the quadcast. No, uh, thank you very much. I'm glad, you know, glad I could be here. It's always, always great talking to you. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm happy to raise the money, you know, uh, Eric McGrath told me early on, you know, we get, we got to do, we got to do this for everyone, for, for the entire team. And, uh, I like to say, you know, I, I follow in his, uh, wheel tracks. <laughs> That's terrific. Again, thank you. And I look forward to seeing you when this nightmare is over and we can all be at, uh, maybe up at Jim A at Kessler, uh, and enjoy a laugh. Oh, oh yeah, that'd be great. Uh, I hope to see you soon. Uh, be healthy, uh, stay safe, and just keep, keep doing your job. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. And that will do it for this edition of the Quadcast podcast. You can find us by going to soundcloud.com and typing the Quadcast in the search bar. My Facebook page, the Kessler SCI Peer Program page, and the Thrive Community page. You can also access the program from my Twitter page, which is at John J. McAlevey, M-C-A-L-E-A-V-E-Y. Hats off to Chris Perez-Pesco once again at the Sound Lounge in New York City for mixing the show. Thank you, Chris. And don't forget to tune in next week when we will be talking about my favorite subject, me. Yes, we will speak with my first PT and OT from Kessler all the way back in 1992. Until then, I'm John McAlevey, and I thank you for your time. I don't care.